0: Of the estimated 1.5 million Americans that have some form of lupus, African-Americans are three times more likely to be diagnosed with the disease. Moreover, these patients often experience greater severity and a more accelerated course of lupus as well. You're listening to Everyday Family Medicine, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Caudill. Joining me today is Dr. Ashira Blazer, an instructor in the Department of Medicine and a rheumatologist at NYU Langone Health in New York City. Dr. Blazer, welcome to ReachMD.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Well, we're excited you're here and, and really happy to talk about this really important topic. To start out, can you talk a little bit about the demographics of those with lupus in terms of age and race?
1: So patients with lupus are by far and away women, and I think any treating physician knows that the practice is almost 90% women when you're taking care of lupus patients, which is similar for other autoimmune disorders. In fact, recently a study from NYU, the incidence and prevalence of systemic lupus erythematosus in New York found that women were about 9 times as likely to develop lupus as men. These are usually women during childbearing ages and it tends to affect minorities more frequently than white.
0: And let's talk a little bit about the diagnosis of lupus. Why is lupus so hard to diagnose?
1: Yeah, so lupus is the great imitator, we say. Very difficult to diagnose because essentially any organ system can be involved and sometimes the first symptoms can overlap with a number of other syndromes. Ultimately, lupus is a clinical diagnosis which means that it's about having a constellation of symptoms that fits and then the laboratory diagnoses, the ANA or the subset of anti-nuclear antibodies support the clinical findings. So I think when a patient comes in, maybe a young woman, she's got some fevers and constitutional symptoms, she develops some joint pains and maybe rashes, it's sort of hard to fit that in the bucket of lupus when there are so many other things that it could be.
0: And that makes a lot of sense about the great imitator you use that phrase, and certainly we've all heard that. That does make a lot of sense. Let's go back a little bit and talk about the communities that are affected by lupus. And if we focus on the African-American community in particular, what are some of the selective challenges that African-Americans may face with regards to their lupus? So
1: I think the first is that lupus is much more common in people of African ancestry in general. So African-Americans, about three to four times as likely to have lupus and other demographic groups. And as well, we tend to have much more severe disease. So kidney disease, cardiovascular disease is more common in people of African ancestry. So whereas somebody who presents with milder disease, maybe joint pain or rashes predominantly, might have some time to get that diagnosis, someone of African ancestry who presents with kidney disease from the beginning, really needs to get a diagnosis and to get more aggressive therapy early. So if these people are disproportionately affected then the time to diagnosis disproportionately influences morbidity and mortality.
0: And that makes a lot of sense, too, in terms of the severity, potential severity and time to diagnosis and the importance of all of that. Moving on to comorbidities, we know that people with lupus have an increased risk for other serious medical conditions, things like hypertension, cardiovascular disease, even end-stage renal disease. Can you explain some of these risks and how they relate to, to lupus? Sure. So lupus itself can cause a number of these comorbidities and then people
1: who have lupus can have the comorbidities separate from disease. So it's sort of a way that the disease can influence the person and what the person brings to the disease can influence how that person does in the end. So kidney disease is very common in lupus. It's something that is responsible for the bulk of morbidity and mortality, especially early in disease. And then later on, we find that people with chronic inflammatory diseases and chronic autoimmune diseases, and lupus is no exception, tend to be at higher risk for developing heart attacks and stroke. And one of the landmark studies in this showed that lupus patients are about 50 times as likely as the general population to have early heart attack and stroke. And people of African ancestry are even double the risk of the general lupus population. So these are the main comorbidities we have to keep our eyes on as, as rheumatologists caring for these patients.
0: Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Everyday Family Medicine, and I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Caudle. My guest today is Dr. Ashira Blazer, a rheumatologist and instructor at NYU Langone Health. We are talking about the management considerations for lupus patients, especially in the African-American community. Continuing on the subject of risk, you're doing research on genetic mutations that are common in people of African ancestry. What have you found so far? So I study
1: apolipoprotein L1, or for short, APOL1 genetic mutations. And that sounds like a mouthful, but the genetic risk profile is similar to what we see in sickle cell. So the idea is that these mutations have arisen because they provide an evolutionary advantage in resisting infection. So in the case of sickle cell, it's malaria. In the case of APOL1, it's African trypanosomiasis. So we find that people of West African ancestry are very likely to carry at least one copy of this mutation or even two copies of the mutation. So in a study done in the U.S., it was found that African-Americans, about 60% of African-Americans carry at least one copy of this mutation, and then of that, 30% carry two copies of the mutation. So they're very, very prevalent. And under normal conditions, people may have a slightly increased risk of developing end-stage renal disease or cardiovascular disease, but we find that the risk is more contingent upon the comorbidities that a person has. So if you think about the mechanism of protection, this gene is there to protect against infection. So when the immune system is active, the gene is expressed more, sort of like a blueprint. You know, you wouldn't use a blueprint if you don't need to build a building. The body is the same way. It doesn't transcribe a gene unless it needs it to protect against infection. So when somebody has lupus or other chronic infectious or inflammatory disorders, this gene is expressed even more. And we find that that phenomenon is reflected in the tightness of the association with renal disease and cardiovascular disease. So our lupus patients, for example, who carry these genes are about seven times as likely to develop prevalent cardiovascular disease. And this happens at early ages. Same is true for renal disease. So patients who have lupus who carry the variants are much more likely to go on to need dialysis or to need a transplant in patients who don't carry the gene.
0: And let's move forward and talk a little bit about treatments for a little bit. What therapies are currently available for lupus patients? What is, what is the scope of therapies that we have?
1: I think this is the most exciting part about the job at this point, because before, a lot of the therapies we had were steroid-based or chemotherapeutic drugs that sort of blanketly affect the immune system, but more recently... There have been a number of biologic therapies that have come out that particularly affect the mechanisms of disease. So one of those drugs that was the first drug approved for lupus in 50 years has been So that drug affects the ability of B cells to mature and to form these autoreactive B cells, autoreactive white blood cells. So, you know, moving forward, there are a number of drugs in the pipeline. I think in lupus, we focus heavily on the soluble mediators, the cytokines that influence disease. And one of the main ones is interferon. So there's a biologic therapy that's coming out that affects the interferon receptor. So we can lower the response to that cytokine and decrease the severity of lupus and treat that way. So that's an example of some of the drugs that are coming down the pipeline. But I think that as we learn more about the pathophysiology of lupus, we are able to even repurpose some of the drugs. So, for example, uh, there's a drug called tofacitinib that we are using in rheumatoid arthritis, but we're finding that a number of the cytokine pathways uh, that are also active in lupus are mediated by the JAK-STAT signaling pathway, intercellular signaling pathway. So that pathway is turned off by tofacitinib, And there are a number of trials looking at that drug in lupus as well. So I think that as the research becomes more specific, as the pathophysiology becomes clearer, we're able to target specific pathways that affect lupus instead of just blanketly suppressing the immune system.
0: And that's actually really exciting, I think. I think it's very exciting to see that the range and the modalities of treatments is becoming expanded. And and I think there's a lot of hope on the horizon. You know, what are your thoughts about, you know, as you think about the future of lupus and, you know, what are some of your hopes going down the line for your patients?
1: Oh, absolutely. This is incredibly exciting. And I think as these drug trials are coming out, so many patients are involved that we're able to identify subsets. I think one of the biggest challenges in, in lupus treatment is that, you know, lupus is such a heterogeneous disease. It's something that can mimic many other disorders because it's something that can affect different organ systems and different patients. And for the longest time, we've been treating lupus patients as if they're all the same. You know, if you have this problem, we'll give self-sept or we'll give cytoxin or, you know, without really being able to tease out these differences. And so getting back to the ethnic differences, a number of studies show that people of African ancestry maybe have more of an interferon response. They have more hyperactive B cells. So we're able to look at differences in ethnicity, differences in lupus disease presentation and determine which drugs work best for which patients. So we're really in an era of personalized medicine in treating
0: lupus. I like that phrase, uh, personalized medicine, because it is. it seems like that's the way that we're going. And that's. I think it's very exciting that people really could possibly get tailored treatments that would hopefully improve outcomes, which is what we want. So very exciting. Dr. Blazer, you've been excellent. And before we close, are there any other takeaways that you wanted to share on this topic? Yeah, I think that, you know, the prognosis in lupus has been
1: such an evolving landscape.
0: You know, before steroids and dialysis,
1: lupus was very grave and the mortality was incredibly high. And I think with each coming discovery, each passing generation, we're finding that people are able to live very healthy, nearly normal lives with lupus. And I'm excited to be a part of that. My work actually takes me to West Africa, where some of the advances have not necessarily reached. And I'm finding that even bringing some of that knowledge is starting to affect prognosis there. So I think This is a time to be hopeful uh, for physicians and for patients,
0: and I'm excited to see what's happening in the future. Well, with that, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Ashira Blazer, for joining me today to talk about lupus in the African-American community. Dr. Blazer, it was great having you on the program. Thank you. I'm Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and to access this episode and others from Everyday Family Medicine, please visit ReachMD.com and become part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.